Hi, I'm Tyler Saltzi, pastor of Grace Bible Fellowship in Peru, Illinois. Our mission at Grace Bible Fellowship is to magnify the glory of the triune God in Christ Jesus by proclaiming God's word to advance the gospel in our lives and the world. We base who we are and what we do on the good news of Jesus. If you would like to find more information about Grace Bible Fellowship, you can visit our website at www.gbfperu.org. I'm so thankful you've come here to listen to God's Word proclaimed as we seek to understand it and be transformed by it. I hope you find this time meaningful, challenging, convicting, joyful, and even life-changing as we worship through the preaching of God's Word. there. Would you stand with me as we read God's word together? Exodus 34, beginning in verse 10. And he said, Behold, I am making a covenant before all your people. I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord, for it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. Observe what I command you this day. Behold, I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Take care, lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go, lest it become a snare in your midst. You shall tear down their altars and break their pillars and cut down their ashram. For you shall worship no other god. For the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land... And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, and you are invited, you eat of his sacrifice, and you take of their daughters for your sons, and their daughters whore after their gods, and make your sons whore after their gods. You shall not make for yourself any gods of cast metal. You shall keep the feast of unleavened bread. Seven days you shall eat unleavened bread, as I commanded you at the time appointed in the month of Abib. For in the month of Abib... You came out of Egypt. All that opened the womb are mine. All your male livestock, the firstborn of cow and sheep, the firstborn of a donkey, you shall redeem with a lamb. Or if you will not redeem it, you shall break its neck. All the firstborn of the sons you shall redeem, and none shall appear before me empty-handed. Six days you shall work, but on the seventh day you shall rest. In plow- plowing time and in harvest you shall rest. You shall observe the feast of weeks, the first fruits of wheat harvest, and the feast of ingathering at the year's end. Three times in the year, you, all your males shall appear before the Lord your God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. You shall not offer the blood of my sacrifice with anything leavened. Or let the sacrifice of the feast of Passover remain until the morning. The best of the first fruits of your ground you shall bring to the house of the Lord your God. You shall not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. And the Lord said to Moses, Write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. So he was there with the Lord forty days and forty nights. He neither ate bread nor drank water, and he wrote on the tablets the words of the covenant, the ten commandments. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. 
O Lord, make your word a swift word, passing from the ear to the heart, from the heart to the lip and conversation, that as the rain returns not empty, so neither may your word, but accomplish that for which it was given. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Andrew Peterson, a singer and songwriter, has a song that goes like this. Come broken and weary, come battered and bruised, my Jesus makes all things new, all things new. Come lost and abandoned, come blown by the wind, he'll bring you back home again, home again. Come frozen with shame, come burning with guilt. My Jesus, he loves you still. He loves you still. We live in a fallen world, a broken world, a world that's laden with sin and death. And we see it every day, we hear about it every day, we feel it every day. And if it's not bad enough that we live in a broken world with everything seemingly falling apart, if it's not bad enough that the external world only seems to produce madness and chaos, it's even worse because we know the brokenness in our own hearts. We feel the emptiness and the void and the weariness that sometimes dwells within us and wants to overtake us. And how, how easy it is to feel hopeless, how easy it is to feel like we will never escape. Like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress, who was locked into the dungeon of Doubting Castle and was consistently beat by giant despair. We wonder if there's ever any way out. Is there any way to be restored to the heights of joy and love and glory? And I fear oftentimes that we as Christians don't exactly know what to do about it. Do we ignore the brokenness? Do we slap some Christian platitudes on the despair that we feel? Do we pretend like it really isn't that bad? Do we give ourselves some moralism? Do we give ourselves some therapy? How many Christians have nothing to say to a broken world because they don't know how to deal with life's difficulties? We of all people should know how to deal with these difficulties because we feel them intensely. We feel the tension. We feel the difficulty. But how many people would rather just push them to the side, not deal with them? At the base of Mount Sinai lay two stone tablets, broken tablets, tablets that Moses had smashed when he saw the, the heinous sin of the Israelites, 
What is wrong with the world? That's what's wrong with the world. By Israel's apostasy, apostasy, by their utter rejection and denial of God, they had obliterated their relationship with Him. From a covenant promised to a covenant given, only to result in a covenant broken. That's no place that anyone would ever want to live. It's the worst place to live. To live in a broken relationship with God is to have no relationship with Him, is to be separated from Him. It is to have rejected God. It is to have worshipped something other than God. It is to live with the expectation that all there will be is judgment from God. But we can't go to those two tablets that Moses, Moses smashed and put them back together again. We can't make it right. We can't fix it. Are you a fixer? You like to fix things? We can't fix this. You can't change the world. In fact, you can't even change yourself. What do you need? What do I need? The Lord, the Lord, a God gracious and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness. The Israelites needed the Lord to reestablish the covenant. Only the Lord could remake or renew the covenant that the people had broken. And that is precisely what the Lord does in these verses. He renewed the covenant with His people according to His grace and His mercy, he reinstitutes the covenant, this relationship, this binding agreement that they are going to make with one another about how they're going to live together as one. And notice, the Lord doesn't revise the covenant. He doesn't lower the bar. I mean, he already gave them the covenant, and then they sinned and broke the covenant. He doesn't come back and say, okay, let me revise it. Let me lower the standard. Let me make the hurdle a little lower so that way they can get over it. He's the same Lord. It's the same law with the same promise that if the people obey his voice and keep his covenant, he will be their treasured possession among all people, for all the earth is his. And they will be to him a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. So what truths do we learn about from the renewed covenant the Lord establishes with his people or reestablishes with his people? Well, six truths. I'm going to try to get through them all today. Six truths. You can follow along in your bulletin if that's helpful for you. But number one, the renewed covenant depends on what God does with his people. The renewed covenant depends on what God does with his people. The renewed covenant begins with God's action. This is where we often go wrong when we think about the law in the Bible. We focus on what we are to do or what the people of Israel were to do. Just like so often we make the Bible all about us, but God says, look at what I am doing. Don't look to yourselves first. This is our natural fallen inclination. 
That's where we often go to me, to, to who I am, to what I'm supposed to do. But what does God do? God says, put all your focus and all your attention on me. Let us cast our gaze, fix our eyes on him. Because that is the only way that life will ever be ordered rightly. It's the only way that we will ever have peace is if we look to him first and not ourselves. So God is making, or very literally there in verse 10, I am cutting a covenant. And as an assurance that he will make good on all of his promises, he says, I will do marvels such as have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. He will do wonders the likes of which no one has ever seen before. Think about that. All that, all that Israel has seen, all that Egypt has seen, when God brought the Israelites out of Egypt with all of the plagues, God, in essence, says, you haven't seen anything yet. I will do marvels. And these aren't natural phenomena. These are supernatural phenomena. You see that there, don't you? As have not been created in all the earth or in any nation. These are inexplicable according to the laws of nature. This is God supernaturally working the greatness and the awesomeness of the glory of God will not be concealed, but He will make it known to the Israelites. But notice, it's not to the Israelites alone, but who else? And all the people among whom you are shall see the work of the Lord. What God does among His people, and the awesome thing that He will do with His people, will be a testimony to his sovereignty over the entire world. He says, look, what I'm going to do with you, everyone's going to see it. Think about how that affects us as Christians. Is it not the awesome supernatural work that God does in us and with us that should cause everyone around us to see the work of the Lord? How does the world see the work of the Lord now? Is it not in the church? Is it not through the people of God living their lives for the glory of God and heralding the saving power of His gospel to a lost and dying world? Maybe you sang that song as a child, This Little Light of Mine, I'm Going to Let It Shine. Hide it under a bushel. No. Now, I fear that we as Christians are too busy hiding our light under a bushel when God is saying, you need to let the work that I've done in you and among you shine in this world so they see the work of the Lord and so they give glory to Him. What God does with us and in us is for the furtherance of His gospel and His glory in this world. For it is an awesome thing that I will do with you. It inspires awe of God. So what God does, or, or the renewed covenant depends on what God does. But number two, the renewed covenant prioritizes pure worship. The renewed covenant prioritizes pure worship. 
God had promised to bring his people into the land of Canaan to be their home. He made a promise with Abraham, but he gave this caveat. He said, it would only happen after the sin of the Amorites who lived in the land was complete. And so as these people are about to enter the land, the sin of the Amorites is complete. And you see the nations that the Lord says he is going to drive out. I will drive out before you the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Perizzites, the Hivites, and the Jebusites. Their sin had become complete. They would be judged for their sin. They would face the consequences for their rejection of God and for their paganism. And the Israelites here are warned, aren't they? Take care lest you make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land to which you go. Why does the Lord tell them not to make a covenant with these people? Because they will be a snare. They will trap them with their idolatry, with their paganism, with their false worship. Think about this. The Lord has said, behold, I am making a covenant. And then on the heels of that, he says, I'm going to drive out these nations in the promised land so that you can live there, but don't make a covenant with them. In essence, they were not to make a covenant with these people because they were already in a covenant relationship with the Lord. Their covenant relationship with him was an exclusive relationship. It's like saying to your spouse, you can't go marry someone else because you're married to me. The Israelites were in this marital relationship with the Lord. In fact, in the Old Testament, he is often described as their husband. And any marital covenant made with anyone else would have been cheating on him. If they made this covenant, they would not have been faithful to the Lord. And yet... How often do we think maybe we can have it both ways? No. You can't serve God and money. You can't be friends with God and the world. God demands all of our worship and all of our honor to go to Him and to Him alone as the one true God. We worship him to the utter exclusion of any kind of idolatry. He will tolerate no compromise in our commitment to him. And so he tells the people, destroy all the paraphernalia associated with idolatry. Tear it down, cut it down, break it down. Everything that would try to steal your heart away from the Lord. Why? Because there is no other God to worship. And our Lord's name is Jealous. God's nature is righteously jealous. It's a jealousy that is not mixed with sin whatsoever. It is pure and holy. And so God says, don't make a covenant because you're my wife. Don't play with fire or you're going to get burnt. If you make a covenant with these people, you're going to end up eating an ungodly covenant meal. You see that there? Lest you make a covenant. And when they whore after their gods and sacrifice to their gods, you are invited and you eat of this sacrifice. 
You're going to participate in an ungodly meal if you do this. Don't do it. You're going to, as it were, sit around the Antichrist table, eating that which has been offered to false gods. And what else? Well, your sons will take their daughters to be their wives, and basically their daughters are going to steal your hearts away from the Lord. Their sons would marry their daughters, and they would end up prostituting themselves by worshiping these pagan gods. It will have consequences. The law here, note this very carefully, the law here is not an ethnic concern. The law is not, well, we are Israelites and they are not. The law here is a spiritual concern. Your spiritual life is at stake if you yoke yourself to someone who is unspiritual. Your righteousness is at stake if you join yourself to someone who lives in unrighteousness. Unless we think that this is just some foreign Old Testament law that doesn't really apply to us, us, too many Christians are too naive and somehow think that they are immune or that somehow this doesn't apply to them. But we need to listen to what Paul said this morning as Eric read for us, do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship does light have with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What's the answer to those questions? Nothing. To be clear, Paul is saying to the believer in Jesus Christ, do not marry an unbeliever. So let me talk to kids, maybe those thinking about entering marriage. Maybe you're older and thinking about going into marriage again. Say it very clearly. Do not marry an unbeliever. Do not missionary date. Do not think, I will win them to Christ. Find someone who loves Jesus Christ more than they love you. And their love for you then might not be perfect. It might not always be what it should be. But it will be a love that offers you security and assurance and hope. Now, there are other situations the Bible talks about with marriage, but specifically I'm talking about those entering into a marriage relationship. If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, do not marry knowingly an unbeliever. Do not unequally yoke yourself. Bad company, Paul says, corrupts good morals. They will not bring you into worship. They will take you away from it. They will cause you to worship something or someone else. God prioritizes pure worship. 
I say those things because I believe that's what the Bible teaches. I don't say that to take away joy from anyone's life, but the best life is a life that follows God's word. And so if you are thinking about entering into a marriage relationship, I'm looking at my kids specifically, <laughs> this is the best life. Number three, the renewed covenant revolves around redemption. The renewed covenant revolves around redemption. The next section here in our verses, verses 18 through 20, deals with the feast of unleavened bread and the redemption of the firstborn. Put together, these two, two actions remind us of the Israelites' redemption from the land of Egypt. The feast of the unleavened bread was to happen the week after the Passover. And if you have your Bibles and you just turn over to Deuteronomy for a moment, Deuteronomy 16.3. Talks more about this feast of unleavened bread. Deuteronomy 16.3 says, You shall eat no leavened bread with it, Seven days you shall eat it with unleavened bread, the bread of affliction, for you came out of the land of Egypt in haste, that all the days of your life you may remember the day when you came out of the land of Egypt. So there, notice this feast of unleavened bread, what it's called in Deuteronomy 16, 13, it's called the bread of affliction. As a reminder that the Lord had seen the affliction of the Israelites when they were in Egypt. He'd heard their groanings. He'd brought them out of their affliction in Egypt. He had redeemed them. He had brought them to himself. And then there's this redemption of the firstborn. A reminder of the Passover lamb that was slain in the place of their firstborn child while they lived in Egypt. That Passover sacrifice, that Passover lamb where they took some of the blood, they put it on the lintel and the doorposts of their doors. And when Yahweh would see the blood, he would pass over them so that the plague of death would not fall upon them to destroy them. Now the people were to continue to redeem the firstborn, whether flocks from the herds or their sons, they were to redeem these just as God had redeemed them whom he called his firstborn son. God had redeemed them by bringing them out of Egypt, by saving them on the Passover night, by the power of His might. And they were never to forget how great was their redemption, that God had brought them out of their affliction through the sacrifice of this Passover lamb so that they could be brought to God and serve Him as He intended. All of their life was to revolve around the redemption that He had provided for them. Number four, the renewed covenant counts on God's sovereign care. The renewed covenant counts on God's sovereign care. One of the most difficult lessons we have to learn as Christians is to trust God. I find in my life that I perhaps at times think I trust God enough, and then God comes and shows me, you need to trust me more. 
Too often we are looking for excuses or loopholes or exemptions as to why we shouldn't have to trust Him. But in these verses, these next verses, verses 21 through 24, we see the Sabbath and then we see these other feasts, Feast of Weeks, feasts of ingathering. And there's a sense where they all revolve around God's care for His people. Six days you shall work, the seventh day you shall not work. Remember, Israel was living in a day and age in a society that was hand to mouth. You worked, and because you worked, you were able to eat. And God says, one day you're not going to work, and you're going to trust me that I'm going to provide for you still. Even though you don't work that day, I am going to feed you. And in fact, what's amazing here is that he says, in plowing time and in harvest, you shall rest. There's no exemption for the farmers, right? Even when you should be out in the field, even when the weather looks good, I got to get the crops in because if I don't get the crops in, I'm not going to eat. What does God say? Stop. The seventh day, stop. Stop working. Trust me. And even in the sense of these feasts, the feasts of weeks and the feasts of ingathering, or the feast of ingathering could also be called the feast of tabernacles. Look at it. Three times a year you shall, uh, shall all your males appeal, appear before the Lord your God, the God of Israel. For I will cast out nations before you and enlarge your borders. No one shall covet your land when you go up to appear before the Lord your God three times in the year. Notice how basically God is saying, you are going to have to make yourself vulnerable. You're going to have to leave your home. You're going to have to go specifically to Jerusalem, to the temple later but first the tabernacle, to appear before the Lord. And no one is going to covet your land as far as covet to take it from you. I will protect you, says the Lord. I will care for you. Trust me. The Lord would protect them from their enemies who would seek to take advantage of them. Would we ever want to put ourselves in that place where we have to be vulnerable before the Lord? God, I think you're asking too much of me. I don't know if I could do that. You don't know what's going to happen. God says, I am the sovereign Lord. I am in control of everything. How many nights might we in our life lay awake at night worrying about what's going to happen? God says, look at the grass of the field. Look how I, I care for it. Look at the birds of the air. Look how I care for them. Are you not worth much more than they are? Count on God's sovereign care. Number five, the renewed covenant tells the truth about God. The renewed covenant tells the truth about God. Here, verses 25 and 26 seem to be a little disjointed. Why do all of these things go together? Well, because all of them are to tell the truth about God. So do not offer blood with my sacrifice with anything that is leavened 
or let the sacrifice of the feast of the Passover remain until morning. The sacrifices that you are to make to me are to be pure and holy. They are to be right and true because your sacrifices are saying something about who God is, about what he has done, about the promises that he has made. Bring the Lord the first fruits of the ground. That is, bring the Lord what is best. God isn't a second-rate God. God isn't a subpar God. You bring him the best because he is worthy of what is best. Do not boil a young goat in its mother's milk. Why? Well, it could have been a Canaanite practice that they would have done to increase their fertility, or they thought that it would increase their fertility. Fertility. But I think also, think about this, something that was supposed to instill life, something that was supposed to nourish towards life, a mother's milk. You use that thing that was supposed to give life as an instrument for death. It's a promiscuous joining of life and death that is completely antithetical to God and to who He is. He is the author of life. So tell the truth about Him. In what you do, in the sacrifices that you offer, in the tithes that you bring, in the practices that you have in your life, tell the truth about God. Number six, the renewed covenant is God's word written down. The renewed covenant is God's word written down. Finally, the Lord said to Moses, write these words, for in accordance with these words I have made a covenant with you and with Israel. The power and the authority of the covenant come through God's word to the people. They need to accept it, what it as what it was. It was not the word of man. It was not the word of angels. It was the word of God himself to them. And it was completely sufficient for what they needed to live their lives for him. It was written on stone. They were firm and unchanging words, but there was just one problem. Words written on stone, tablets, do not produce the change that we need in our hearts. This is the problem with this renewed covenant that the Lord made with the people. It was written down on these stone tablets, but it didn't transform the people. It didn't make them new. In fact, this is what Jeremiah says. If you have your Bible, prophet Jeremiah, chapter 31, beginning in verse 31. Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant that I made with their fathers on the day when I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. For this is the covenant that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them, and I will write it on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. That is what is needed. Not the law written on stone tablets, but the law written on human hearts. That is what produces the change that we need. The question, though, remains, how is the law going to be written on our hearts? 
Moses spent 40 days and 40 nights with the Lord on Mount Sinai, neither eating bread nor drinking water. He was fasting there out of a concern for God's judgment. In fact, Deuteronomy 9, verse 23 says this, And when the Lord sent you from Kadesh Barnea, saying, Go up and take possession of the land that I have given to you, then you rebelled against the commandment of the Lord your God and did not believe Him or obey His voice. You have been rebellious against the Lord from the day that I knew you. And then Deuteronomy 10, 10. I myself stayed on the mountain as at that first time, 40 days and 40 nights, and the Lord listened to me. That time also the Lord was unwilling to destroy you. And so Moses is there on the mountain, 40 days, 40 nights, fasting out of a concern for the judgment of the Lord. He was waiting to receive the law from the Lord himself. What a spectacular scene, but there is an even better scene. We go to another place in God's word and we find that our Lord Jesus Christ spent 40 days and 40 nights in the wilderness fasting. Jesus was not waiting, however, to receive the law. He was there waiting to fulfill the law. He was there to obey the covenant. When Israel had only ever broken the covenant, he was there prioritizing worship. You shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. He was there knowing that everything revolved around redemption. Even when Satan tempted him with the kingdoms of this world and said, you can escape the cross, you don't have to go to the cross. Jesus said, no, I'm not going to sacrifice the sacrifice that I have to make. He counted on his father's sovereign care. Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. He would rather be fathered than fed. He told the truth about God. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test. He entrusted himself to his Father to care for him through the cross, not sparing him from the cross. Israel had a renewed covenant written on tablets of stone, but they still couldn't keep it. But Christ did keep it perfectly. Christ succeeded where Israel failed. Christ upheld the law and so redeemed those who were under the law by becoming a curse himself. For it is written, cursed is everyone who is hanged on a tree. He exchanged our sin for his righteousness. He took our punishment because we had disobeyed God and he gave us his obedience. Through his death and resurrection, Jesus Christ signed, sealed, and delivered something better than a renewed covenant. He gives us the new covenant so that now all who repent of their sins and believe in him would not perish but receive everlasting life. It is through faith in him that the law is written on our hearts. It is through him that the heart of stone is removed and that we are giving a working, living, breathing heart of flesh. So now that there is good news, not that Jesus is going to renew all things, but that Jesus is going to make all things new, where there will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying, no more pain anymore. Why? Because the former things have passed away. No more brokenness, 
No more fallenness, no more weariness, no more battered, no more bruised, no more lost, no more abandoned, no more frozen with shame, no more burning with guilt. And what does the one on the throne say? Behold, I am making all things new. Is that what you need today? To be made new. Jesus is the one who makes all things new. Jesus is the one who can write that law on your heart. Jesus is the one who can save you and rescue you. Jesus is the one who can give you that hope. And after we hear Jesus say, Behold, I am making all things new. Also, he said, Write these things down, for these words are trustworthy and true. Amen and amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your word. We feel the strain of this broken and fallen world. We feel the difficulty and the struggle. And Father, how I do not want to just put on some nice platitudes. Where we could just try to forget all of our problems. Try to forget all of our inadequacies. Try to forget the brokenness that we see all around us. Father, we wrestle with these things. We wrestle with the brokenness because we know that a renewed covenant is not enough. We need a new covenant established by the blood of Jesus. We need one who comes to us who says, Behold, I am making all things new. Father, if there's someone here today who does not know what it means to be made new, I pray that today they would look to Christ. I pray that today they would see their need for a Savior in Jesus Christ, one who will forgive them of their sin, one who will take away their disobedience, one who will give them a new heart that wants to obey and is able to obey you and that loves you above all else. Father, lift up our eyes today. Lift up our eyes to Christ because the words that He has given us are trustworthy and true. Let us not become cynical of the world in which we live. Let us not become cynical in our lives. Let us cast all of that off. Give us true vision of the world in which the world that you have created that we might live in it and so honor and glorify you in all things. Let us be filled with joy. 
Let us be rejoicing people. That even though we know the tears and the pain of this world, we are able to look up to Jesus and say, this is not the end of our story. Because we have a Savior who loves us more than to just leave us here. But who gives of himself for us and who ultimately will bring us to himself. Come, Lord Jesus, we pray in your name. Amen.